Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Welcome back as always to the epic narrative. We are so glad you're here when we left off. Nine of the ten brothers that had gone to Egypt had come back. They'd come back with a with a edict from Joseph, whom they didn't realize was Joseph at the time, but nonetheless, they uh they were they were prepared for what their father was about to do. And what the father was about to do was he was going to not go back and get Simon, Simeon, however you want to say it. Doesn't really matter to me. But in all of that, he uh he just kind of he just he like the brothers like they were so, remember they were so defeated when they even went back like they they none of them wanted to volunteer to go back because they knew everyone else was going to rot in prison and then when one of them had to stay behind Joseph told you know chose the one that was staying behind the guys who left it kind of knew like you're you're probably never going to see your family again and that had to be hard like if if you're looking at your at your brother and you're walking away. And you think, we're never coming back for you. Dad's never going to give up, Benjamin. And we deserve this. That's the saddest part to me. These guys believed they deserved bad things that happened to them because of what they did to Joseph. Now, what they did to Joseph was, was terrible. But the concept that God somehow you know turns the universe against you because you so believe that he is that way, that everything that bad happens to you, you just, you just immediately attribute to a God who wants to do nothing but bless and be good to you. And what happens is, as we all know, is when we focus our attention, right? You reap what you sow. When you focus your attention on finding bad things that are happening to you, you will find more and more bad things that happen to you, and you will attract bad things happening to you. So I believe the brothers have, like, this is a pattern in their life. Bad stuff happens, and they say to themselves, well, remember what we did to Joseph? Like, we deserve this. Like everything bad they deserve. This is this is a terrible way to live. This is a horrible life paradigm. Like I can't. Oh man, these poor brothers. These poor brothers. So the anyways, they're they're back at home. And the and and chapter uh, 43 of Genesis is where we begin, verse one. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So the famine hadn't let up. The, the rain hadn't come. We've now gone through several seasons of growth and reaping that haven't taken place. The food supplies are getting low. And and uh, they had eaten all the grain that they had brought from Egypt. So rather than <laughs> rather than pay attention to what's going on, right? Jacob's plan was we will ride this out to the bitter end and hopefully, quote, God will come through for us because I'm not sending Benjamin to Egypt. So you know that in this verse, so when they had eaten all the grain that they had brought from Egypt, this wasn't something that surprised them. It wasn't like they went to the storehouses one day and were like, oh, crud, it's all gone. No, they saw this coming. The brothers saw this coming for months. And they might have even floated an occasional, yeah, you know, the grain's getting low. Yeah, don't know how much longer we got. Hmm. 
How much grain do you have? Oh, we got a month or two left, probably, you know, if we if we ration it out. And you know, as you're getting lower, you're rationing it out. The the breads are getting smaller, you're not you're not having the grains at every meal. The the you know, rice isn't isn't uh, a part of things anymore. Uh, you know, you're eating a lot of nuts, you're eating a lot of uh you know, whatever, roots, you're having a lot of tea, like you're just kind of spreading yourself kind of thin because, again, the brothers all know dad is not sending Benjamin. So when it says that that they had eaten everything that had come, what it means is they were out of food, and Jacob's up against it now because if he goes out of food, guess who also starves to death? Benjamin. And he knows if I need, if I want Benjamin to live, I need food. And if I would need, if I want food, I have to send him to Egypt. I don't want to send him to Egypt. So he waited and waited and waited and waited. And maybe they're all sitting around in the circle and they're kind of eating the last dust buckets of grain that were kind of put together by the women. And the men are sitting in the circle and they're kind of waiting for dad to say something because it's pretty clear that there isn't anything to eat. And he says, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah, now remember, now Judah's back in the in play here. Why is Judah back in play? Because he moved back to the family after he married the widow of the first two sons that had died when they were with her. And he had refused, remember, to give his third son to her because he thought she was killing them or wasn't quite sure, but he ended up sleeping with her because she pretended to be a prostitute when he went to go party and find prostitutes. She dressed just the way he wanted, Wanted you know, she knew that he liked, and he took her, and he slept with her, and then she tricked him, and uh, yada, yada, yada. So Judah's back with the family after about a 20-year hiatus here, and he says, <clears throat> the man warned us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Now, what that means is you don't get grain. If Joseph's not at the gate, the gate is closed. So Joseph's at the gate every day. And if and I'm not saying that he would only do this to these guys, but there might have already been families that because of their arrogance or because of their, their rudeness or because of their, their lack of payment, when he sees them coming, he you know closes the curtain in front of them so they don't see his face, so they can't bow down to him, which means they can't get grain and they're rejected and when he closes that curtain the guards come in and they move that family out of line and they push them back into the desert and tell them you need to find grain somewhere else because Joseph has shut the curtain so that's what that's what that means all right you're not going to we're not going to see his face again he'll shut the curtain on us if we show up without Benjamin you know this if you will send our brother along with us, now this is Judah still talking. He's like, if you'll send Benjamin with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you're not going to send him, we're not going. Because he said, unless he's with you, you're not getting anything. Now, now Jacob, Israel, is in this state of depression, right? So he's playing the victim. Verse 6. Why do you bring this trouble on me telling me the man had telling the man you had another brother? So again, victims always always are victims, right? There's no way that they can have responsibility for anything. There's no way anybody does anything right. Everything everything's done to them, not for them. 
Everything, everyone's against them, not supporting them. This is this happens to all kinds of people. I mean, I've seen leaders that play that are the victims all the time. I've seen poor people that are victims all the time. It's it it's a mentality. It has it's, it knows no boundaries as far as um, economic or or ethnic background. You can everyone can play the victim. Here we see it in Jacob, right? The amazing one of the four forefathers of our faith. He said, they replied. In other words, he questions them. Why did you do this? Why did you tell them that you had a younger brother? Why did you bring all this trouble on me? Why couldn't you have just been quiet? And they were like, listen, he questioned us. We he he vetted us. There was there was no way that we couldn't eventually get to this information. He asked us about our family. He asked us about our father if he was still living. He asked us, do you have any other brothers? We simply answered the questions. How are we to know that he would say, bring your brother down here? They, they were like, we were accused of spies, of, of being spies, Dad. There's no way. If we refused to answer questions, we would have been you know, proven to be spies. We'd all be dead. What are you trying to do to us? Now, imagine in between these verses, there's just silence. Like the guys are sitting around the, the circle. They're, they're muttering. They're breathing. They're just kind of staring at one another. Some of them have their heads down. They're like, oh, man, this is not going well. Like we're all just gonna die because he's not gonna he's not gonna give this up. So then Judas speaks up. I think after after some silence, Judas speaks up and he says, Send the boy with me. Now I'm sure when 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 you know all of this is going on, it's like they have tried everything. They tried buying grain probably from merchants or other people, from neighbors, from friends, from you know acquaintances, from people that they knew to be traitors, and and they just they just literally there was not enough grain to be bought. People weren't selling it because Joseph's plan was was working so well. No one was allowed to buy more than what they needed for their family. It was designed to last. Uh, he'd give you basically enough to last you a year. It was designed so you would have to come back every year. And I'll go into his master plan in, in, at another episode because it, it involves details. It's pretty awesome. But but the design was you, you've got, your family has to come down here every year and swear allegiance and submission to Egypt. And that's exactly what happened every year. And so people weren't, weren't out there saying, hey, you know, I got some extra. You want some? No. It didn't matter how rich Jacob was. It didn't matter how many sons he had. It didn't matter how many flocks he had. It didn't matter how many business arrangements and covenants and contracts he had around the nation. It just, it just, it didn't even matter how much money he had. You couldn't buy enough. There just wasn't enough left to keep the family alive. So, so, you know, uh, whatever they, they, they have this, they have this, this conversation. Now, probably the brothers know, listen, dad could survive with just Benjamin. He could survive with just Benjamin. If we all go down and get thrown in jail or made slaves to Egypt, dad's not going to care. And he'll just, he'll just, he'll figure out a way to survive with Benjamin. So that's why they're, they, another reason why they were like, listen, we're not going without him. We're not going down there without him because that means we don't come back to our families. That means our sons and daughters die. We're not playing this game, Dad. 
This is not, this is not a game to us. This is survival. And we're on the brink. There's no more grain. So Judah steps in. Judah starts taking a personal uh, approach to this. He, re, you know, he speaks to his dad directly. He defends the brothers' reactions to the questionings, and there's silence. And then Judah says, send the boy with me. We will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. Then he speaks up again. He again, personal approach. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him if I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you. I will bear the blame before you and all my life. Now, when he says this, if I don't set him here before you, there's, there's in, in the overall picture of things, Benjamin's part of this meeting. Benjamin is sitting right next to his father in the favored position. Judah's looking at uh, Judah's looking at Jacob, and he's and he's also looking right at Benjamin, and he's like, "I will bring this guy back." Now, remember, Benjamin's not like you know a ten-year-old kid; he's he's a young man. He's he's you know he's he's no uh, whatever. He's no child. He's a he's a grown man. But he's been protected his whole life because Jacob refuses to let him die. Now picture Judah saying these words. And I, I took my time saying them because I think he wanted it to sink in. Because what, did, what has happened in Judah's life is Judah has also lost two sons. And he has a third. And he doesn't want to lose him. So at some level... He's, he's appealing to his father on, a, on an empathy level. He's saying, Dad, I know what it's like to lose sons. I know what it's like. I've lost two of them. I don't want to lose my third. So I understand your desire to not lose Benjamin. He's your favorite son. None of us are debating that. I will take personal responsibility for him because I understand what it means. Now, when Judah says this, it means more to Jacob than it does for like Reuben to have said this. Because Jacob trusted Judah's empathy and the, and the fact that Judah would understand what it would be, what, what Jacob would have to go through if Benjamin died. Judah understands what his father, the pain that his father would, would experience when his, you know, if his son Benjamin died. So it's on this personal level that Judah uh, breaks down Jacob. And he says, listen, we're not going to delay. This is not going to be a pleasure trip. We're out of grain. We're not going to hang out. We are going to travel, you know, what he means is, you know, basically we're going to travel at night. We're going to travel in the early morning. When it's cool, we're going to keep a heavy, fast pace. We're going to get the grain, 
And then we're going to head back. So Jacob understands what's going on. And Jacob, uh, in verse 10, he's like, eh, as it is, if we had not, de- oh, Judah continues. <laughs> if we had not delayed, we would have gone and returned twice. He's just like, dad, we've waited long enough. We should have went, you know, nine months ago. We really had to go three months ago. Now, if we don't go, we all die. He just lays it out kind of mathematically. Like, it's over. You know this. Time is of the effort, essence. So uh, Jacob's like, then, you know, then their father Israel says to them, if, if it must be, if, if, like, you just want to, you just want to slap him. If it must be, come on, Jacob. We've already laid this out. We should have went nine months ago when we were low on grain. We've been rationing grain for the last three months trying to survive because you had some pie-in-the-sky concept that somehow we were all going to get through this without having to go back down to Egypt with Benjamin. It didn't work, Dad. We're all dying here. If it must be, then do this. So, So Dad's on board, but now he has some conditions. He's like, bring some gifts, products of the land in your bag, and take them down to, to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spices, some myrrh, some, some pistachio nuts, and some almonds. Now, these things were, are things that, that would have still been in production, low in production, but still would have been produced in the area. And they were generally things that Egypt didn't produce or didn't, you know, they, they were considered rare. Uh, in Egypt to have these things. So Jacob's like, bring him some gifts and take double the amount of money with you. You have to return the silver that was put back in your in your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Make sure that they know you're not thieves. So at some level, he's saying, I get it, guys. I understand. I believe you is what he's saying. You didn't do this on purpose. You didn't try and set me up to lose Benjamin. Uh, Judah has convinced me that you guys care about me. Remember, J- you know, Judah, I mean, Jacob, sorry, here, Israel here is the victim. So he's like, I'm convinced you care enough about me that you'll bring him back. So let's make sure you're protected. Otherwise, what? You're not going to bring Benjamin back because if they think you're all thieves, you all will, you know, go to prison or to or die, and Benjamin will be alone because he'll be the only new guy in the in the thing. He already assumes Simon's dead, so here you go. He goes, uh, t- you know, take your brother also, go back to the man at once, and may God Almighty grant you mercy before him, so that what he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back to me. As for me. I am bereaved, or if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So he, again, he turns after, after you know, letting people know, hey, I'm going to protect you. Uh, this is, this is uh, you know, I have a plan. Really, he turns it all back around to himself, which most victims always do. Because, listen, if bad things are going to happen, I'm going to die. This is a vague concept. I've lost Joseph. There's a good chance I've lost Simon Maybe he's okay, but the fear and the dread 
of Benjamin being lost. He was like, I, I can't even take it. I can't take it. So, the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver, and Benjamin also, and they hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. So when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. Now, the eat with me at noon is an indication that they were there in the morning, the early morning. They were probably one of the, quote, we'll call it first people in line. They were there when Joseph arrived for work. And he looks out and he sees Benjamin. Now, he hadn't seen Benjamin in years, but he recognized him. He recognized probably the, the look of his mom, like he, he just knew his brother. So they're traveling, like I said, they've traveled in the early mornings. They've, uh, you know, uh, when, when, when people wanted to hurry in the desert, they would go to bed in the evening, sundown, and they'd wake up early morning, midnight, one o'clock, and they would resaddle and, and hit the road running. So they probably got down there in fairly quick order. They check right in at the station where Joseph was going to show up. Joseph shows up and he sees Benjamin and he, and, and he looks at him and he goes, all right. And again, this plan, I think he's winging this plan. I think he's coming up with it on his own. Uh, <laughs> he wants to find out about this family. He wants to know how they really uh, you know, are treating Benjamin and what is, you know, what's going on with, with, uh, life back, back at the homestead. He's been, you know, he's been gone a long time. So they bring, they bring him in right away, right away. Like if you picture him first in line, Joseph shows up, he looks at him, they probably bow. He turns to his steward and he goes, all right, I want these guys in my house. I want you to take them right away. I want you to slaughter um, meat in front of them. They're going to eat with me at noon. Now he doesn't say slaughter the meat, uh, the beast in front of, of in front of me. These are nuances that 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 various oral traditions have put in there, because Joseph. Um, According to the oral traditions, Joseph already was aware of how to prepare meat kosherly or in, you know, in, in a kosher way uh, because he had communed with God about it. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I don't, it's fine with me if that's, you know, if that's the way you want to go. He prepared uh, a meal. This is, again, not something that you do quickly because you can't go to the fridge and grab the meat. All this stuff had to be like it. It put in motion a bunch of servants and and maids and etc. Right? We have ten men, or well, yeah, it'll be ten. Ten men uh, currently, and maybe and up to eleven coming for lunch, not just a dinner. They're coming for lunch. So everybody's like rolling along here. Everything's done exactly the way that you know Joseph wants it done, and Joseph probably stayed at work because he had a lot of people to get through. So while the, you know while, while the men are standing there, they they see Joseph speak to the the steward, and then the steward starts coming to them. Now the men were were frightened, right? They they get rounded up by several guards. They're told to fo you know follow me. They're following him, but the guards are behind them. There's nowhere for them to go. They're separated from their sacks and their silver and their and their and their gifts and their carts. They're all 
They're also following them, but these guys are, you know, are not near them. They're separated from them, and they're all headed over to Joseph's house. Now, um, archaeologists have found what they think is Joseph's house. It's a very unique house in the land of Egypt. It's unique because um, most most palace uh, personnel, like obviously the viceroy would, would be a palace personnel, um, they had grand houses that um, basically had multiple wives, lots of kids, a big courtyard, uh, that sort of thing. Joseph's house, what they believe is Joseph's house, was unique in that it had a, a center that was designed for the family. It's where the, uh, uh, the family met. It was like a big living room, and it was circular. And off of the circle were individual bedrooms, one for each of his sons and one for him and his wife. And it was unique because he and his wife shared a room. Nobody did that in royalty. They, they, share, you know, they would have women in their rooms, but they didn't share the room with their wife. They only slept with their wife when they wanted to have, make babies. It's, it's fascinating. Joseph was known as unique in the royalty of Egypt because he only had one wife. Crazy, but true. So the, I picture them going to this place. They go to this place and there's this dining room set up in, in the middle of, of this place and there are people all around. And some people con- con- concur or believe that the steward that Joseph leans to to say, bring these people to my house, was actually his eight to 10-year-old son. Now, that's kind of cool, I think. So they, the, the man does as Joseph says. He takes everyone to his house, and they thought, of course, they were being brought there uh, because they were going to be killed. We were, we were brought, it says in verse 18, sorry, I had to find my place. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back in our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take up our donkeys. So they knew that their donkeys and carts were behind them. They just figured all of it was going to be captured and stolen by Egypt. So they went to the Joseph steward. Now, there's, like I said, there's a good chance that the steward is the son of Joseph. And they spoke to him at the entrance of the house. Why? Because he has the ear of Joseph. He's in. He's beside Joseph all the time. Everybody in the house obeys. Uh, you know the the steward. And they said, "Listen, we we beg you, my lord. We came here the first time to buy food, but at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sack, and each of us found his silver, the exact weight and the amount that we had brought. So we brought that back with us." We're basically we're not thieves. Like we we think we know why we're here. We think we're here because we're in trouble for stealing. We want you to know we didn't steal. We're good. We all good. We're good guys. We are not spies. We're here with our younger brother, like we said we would be. <laughs> we are not spies. We need to buy food. We need to get back home. Trust us. We are out of food. And what does the steward say? This is awesome. He's like, uh, oh, that's all right. Don't be afraid. Your God, interesting, your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. In other words, no one thought you stole it. It was meant as a gift. 
Your God, the God of your father, blessed you. Receive it. Whoa, whoa, man. How much fun is that? You picture them looking at each other? Like, wait, this wasn't designed to put us in fear? This wasn't designed to make us nervous? This wasn't designed to keep us, uh, you know, in, in shame and guilt? This was supposed to be a gift? This was supposed to be a blessing to us? How many times has God blessed people? And they look at their blessing and they count it as a, as a curse. God's blessed them with favor and promotion and provision. And they look out at their at those things and they say, this is such a burden. This is terrible. This is always, you know, this, I, I, wish, I, I wish this had never happened. If this had never happened, my life would be so much easier. Yet from Joseph's perspective, he put all that back in their sacks, not because he was trying to trick them, not because he was trying to make them look like thieves, but because he wanted to bless them and say, maybe they will pick this up and receive it from the God of their father, because I know the God of their father, and God of their father would do something like this. This is Joseph behaving like God. And so many times people look at this and they, they say, oh, Joseph was tricking his brothers. He was being mean to his brothers. He was having revenge on his brothers. He was messing with their brother's head. No, Joseph is literally, at this point, uh, you know, his son possibly is saying, this wasn't meant to do anything except be a gift to you from your God. Because your God is a giver of gifts. And Joseph knows this. He's a God that brings favor in the midst of, of tragedy. Joseph knows this. This is a God, this is, this is a God that would that would bless in the midst of, of, of a famine. Joseph's behaving just like your God. You should have recognized it. That's basically what the steward's saying. You should have recognized this as a gift from your God and the God of your father. Wow. That's uh, that's interesting. You, you picture the brothers looking around. And then and then when he says, oh, you know. It's all right. Don't be afraid. Everything's good. That was a gift from your from your God. And uh, oh, here's your brother. So so you know Simon's brought out or Simeon, depending. Like I said, how you want to say it. This is this is uh, this was fun. So it looks as though they they kind of stopped by the prison. Then the steward, verse twenty four, took took the men to Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provide fodder for their donkeys. So. So he makes sure that they're all taken care of. He's like, all right, uh, you know, here, here's the bathhouse, so to speak. Everybody, you know, wash up. We're going to have lunch together. And then he looked at the servants that, that were there at the house. He's like, uh, you know, feed and water the donkeys. Uh, brush them down. Make sure that they're ready to go. Everybody's getting ready. Uh, they they were able to get their gifts for Joseph out of the, uh, out of the carts. The servants lined them up along the wall. Joseph arrived at noon, and uh, when Joseph came home, verse 26, they presented him with gifts that they had brought into the house. They bowed down before him to the ground. Fascinating. Joseph arrives. He receives the gifts. They bow down again. If you didn't think the first round was a fulfillment of of the dream, this round would be because now Benjamin's a part of the bowing down. And then he asks questions about the family. He goes, uh, so how is your dad? How's he doing? Because, you know, it's probably been almost two years. 
maybe at least a year and a half since he's seen him. Is he still alive? Yeah, yeah, he's doing great. And they told him all about their father. Then he said, well, uh, you know, they bowed down again before him. Uh, verse 29, they looked around and they saw his, he looked around and he saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. What that means is he saw in, in his brother, his mother. He saw in his face or in his features or in his mannerisms, he saw his mother. This is not unusual. I know that happens. Um, I have I have four kids, and currently at this recording, uh, we have 10 grandkids, and all the time that that you see them, there are nuances. Like when we're all together, there are times that you know that this grandchild was never taught to behave a certain way, never taught to have this particular mannerism, never never told to have this little, we'll call it facial tick in the way that they respond to things. But me as the grandfather, I see it and I say, wow, eh, you are just like your mother or you're so much like your father, right? And now, of course, now we have digital photos that go back for years and you're able to pull them up. It used to be we'd go through, you know, uh, photo albums, be like, oh my gosh, this is, this is your child. Like, this is your child's three. Now this is, you know, this is the grandfather when he was three years old. Look at this. Like, they look exactly alike. That's what that means. When he looked and he saw, he saw his brother Benjamin. He saw his mother's son. But he asked the question, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved, it says, he, he Joseph turned and looked for a place to weep, and he went into his private room and he wept there. Again, given the con, given the context that we know of, that we think is Joseph's house, according to archaeology, there was really no place to quote go in, in the dining room. It was a central room, like a huge living room, dining room, and there was nowhere for him to go hide. So he went back to his bedroom, and he he cried privately. I'm sure there were servants that followed him and probably stopped at the door and they waited for him to be done. Nobody ate. Everybody sat there. The brothers are looking around. No one's seated at this point. They're all just kind of hanging out. He's overwhelmed. Joseph is overwhelmed. He pulls himself together. He washes his face. He comes out controlling himself. He sits down at a private table. Wait, where's... where's uh, oh, okay. Yes, I'm getting there. Sorry. There's a point I wanted to make. I was like, wait, where is that verse? It's coming, Bob. It's coming. Keep reading. They served, they served Joseph by himself, so he would get the choice of everything, right? The brothers by themselves, the Egyptians who ate, ate with him, ate by themselves because Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews because it's detestable. Racism is on full display here, uh, which had to be a fascinating thing to work for a viceroy that you know is Hebrew, deep down, no one, no, probably no one mentions it, but everyone kind of knows. He's, he's of that, that, that breed of people that we don't like here. And then he has, uh, you know, 11 of them sitting around the table and he's treating them like royalty. Now he gets to choice food. He sits at a head table all by himself. Food comes out. He, he indicates what he wants. It's served to him. Now it says the men had been seated before him in order of their ages from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. 
Now, what this means is that Joseph had had told them where they were going to sit. And he ordered them from oldest to youngest. And why is this astonishing? If you remember, we went, if you go all, I forget how many episodes ago, but if you go back there, it was astonishing because 12 brothers were born in a seven-year period of time. And if you weren't part of the family, you would have to ask who was born next. You would have to know, like to know the order that they came out was something only family knew and would keep track of. Like I said, at, the, at this recording, I have 10, 10 grandchildren. We, we, you know, we gave uh, uh, T-shirts or sweatshirts out to everybody with the order in which they came into the family. So, you know, the, the sons, the daughter, then the, their spouses, and then the kids. And, 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 you know, it starts to get confusing after a while. It's like, wait, 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 no, 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 so-and-so is married. But did so-and-so have their, have their child first? Or who, who entered? Like, we, we had to think about it. If I had to just seat them in order... It would be something where I'd be constantly looking at my wife going, wait, no, uh, wait, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> of course, now I'd just tell them all to wear their sweatshirts and turn around so I can see their number. But Joseph sat them at the table in order of their births, and he didn't ask any questions. And the brothers were astonished. They did, like, they had to be thinking, how does he know? How does he know? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody asked, did, did, you, did anybody ask you the question? Did the steward ask you a question? Did the steward ask you a question? Did, did okay, so, so that didn't happen. Did, like, did, they, did he send spies? Like, how do we know? How did he know? That's the astonishment. This is, this is the part where, where they, they are like they are beyond it's beyond their comprehension, which is kind of cool. Now Joseph sitting alone at his table, he's he's looking at them look look astonished because he had them seated in order and and they're like, How, did, is this a mistake? Like did he just wing this? Did he just guess? Can you guess? I mean, they all are virtually within months of each other, basically. I mean, you might be able to tell Reuben from Benjamin because oldest and youngest are, you know, that far apart. But everyone else, like the in-between ones, there were some that were probably born within weeks of each other. Honestly, this, this, they, they didn't know what was going on. I'm sure Joseph was, had a little bit of a kick out of that. And when portions were served to them Joseph's, from Joseph's table, right, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else. They feasted and drank freely with him. So Joseph calls them to their seats, and he makes sure that Benjamin is overserved because I believe what he's trying to check out is: do these are these guys jealous of of Benjamin? I'm going to show abundant honor and abundant favor on the youngest child on purpose because I want to observe what the brothers do with that. How do they behave? Do they grumble? Do they complain? Do they make comments about, oh, look who, look how much you got. Oh, you got the really good piece. Oh, whatever, whatever. No, he's, 
He's watching this. He's watching it because he wants to know. Are they going to kill, uh, you know, would, would they would they kill him too? Would they attempt to kill him too? Would they, would they kick him out of the family and force him to never have contact with them again? Would they do to him what they did to me? But it says they feasted and drank and freely, freely with him, which means once they all were seated and the astonishment was over, they sat back and just started to have a good time which is not unusual when you're eating and drinking freely. <laughs> you can have a pretty good time. And this is at lunch. And I have a feeling uh, they started to have a really good time. Because at the next chapter, oh, you know what? Let's save that for the next episode. Because the next chapter starts out with the, the end of the party, <laughs> which, is a, which is a pretty good thing. So, all right, we'll see you next week on the next episode of Season 2 of The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, how much fun was that? I actually had a lot of fun listening to this one again. And I was disappointed that it ended. That's what's funny to me. It's crazy. I do all of these. I research all of these. I record all of these. And then, boom. I have to listen to them and I think, wait, I want to hear the rest. I hope you feel the same way. So some thoughts I have regarding that would be, kind of centered around the idea that Joseph was winging this plan. And a lot of times you get in leadership and you get used to the rhythm of making decisions and not really having to check in with anyone. And I think Joseph was kind of in that rhythm. I'm not saying he didn't have... um, I'll say consistent connection with with God. I, I think he did, uh, or at least he he knew how to. But he also understood that God had been a part of his his life and given him direction, and he had a lot of confidence in the fact that God was going to back him on the decisions he was making. So, although I don't believe that God would want people who are in contact with Him and and representing Him here on earth to lie and deceive and and trick and, uh, you know, manipulate people, although I'm sure many wonderful Christians have done that. Uh, I don't think you can look at Joseph's behavior here and say, this is the way God wanted it to happen. And I, I know I said that in the, you know, in the recording, but I also wanted to just re- reemphasize that. You, you can't look at that and say that was God's plan because that's not in the character of God. Uh, so <clears throat> I just, you know, as I listened to that episode, I thought he, God still comes through, like his goodness still overrides all of the lies, the deceit and the manipulation of his brothers. And yes, the brothers bowed down before him. Um, and would they have done that if he had said, I'm your brother, as soon as they showed up? I don't know. What I do know is they didn't. He didn't need that to happen in order for this story to go forward. They could have bowed at any time uh, in in their lives, and it didn't have to happen at that time. So would it have? I don't. It could have. They might have bowed to him anyways if he had said, "Hey, I'm your brother." As soon as he saw them the first time they came down to Egypt, they may have bowed to him anyways, or they may have bowed to him some at some future date. 
there's no there's no thing in our in our context that would indicate hey it had to be now and it had to be this way so uh yeah i just those those are some of my thoughts around that i also believe um that in leadership uh sometimes you get a vision and and you're not sure where to go next and you don't consult people you end up you end up in these kind of behaviors and i've met uh you know people in leadership that have kind of lost lost their way lost their vision and this is what happens they start to they start to manipulate they start to kind of be deceptive they start to isolate and i'm not saying joseph had gotten to that point um but it reminded me of people who have gotten to that point i don't think joseph was consulting anyone about how to go forward on this plan that's what i mean by it reminds me of people who have kind of kind of lost lost the vision they don't know how to get to the next step so they're they're just trying to make something happen and when you make something happen you end up manipulating people you end up uh changing shall we say definitions of words i.e. using deception um so yeah leaders have to be careful of that you have to stay in relationship you have to stay connected you have to stay focused oh and uh, one more thought i did like the way that the scripture makes it clear that from joseph's perspective he put the silver back in their bags again not out of deception he did that to bless them he did that so that they would feel uh, a blessing from their god and and connect to their god uh what had happened and i do think a lot of times god sends us blessings and we immediately see the negative we see we we see things like uh people what are people going to think if i have all this money what are people going to think if i buy this big house uh or uh you know or worse right we just have this this uh concept where we are constantly bumping up against what are people going to think what are people going to think and instead of just saying wow god you're just so good you're just so good i i could have never come up with this on my own and uh, and i i understand that if you know if you went out to the grocery store and you bought a boatload of groceries and when you got back to your house and you were unloading your groceries you realized that you know that somebody went you know even though you swiped your card or whatever that the the grocery store had given them all to you it would it would be difficult to go back and try and explain that and i understand for some it be an integrity thing like what well, we we do have to to explain we have to go back and ask them what happened and 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 do the right thing. Yes, I agree. But if you traveled weeks away, if you were if you were, you know, if you if you took your groceries and you traveled across the country and when you arrived there, you you realized that you had actually never paid for them, what are the odds that you would travel all the way back to that grocery store and make things right? You would be like, "Well, okay. But if I ever go back there, I'm going to try and make things right." So It's unfortunate that the brothers didn't see and the father didn't see any of this as a blessing from God. I do appreciate the fact that they tried to make things right when they did go back, even though it was probably at least a a year, maybe longer uh since they had been there. They still wanted to make things right. And for that I got to give them, you know, a sense of uh integrity and honor um 
that yeah that that is a core value in in heaven so we can learn on both both ends of that story and i i just hope that uh we continue to learn from the story i'm looking forward to next week i can't believe i i ended it where i did because man it's just starting to get good see you next week everyone everyone thanks for listening if you like what you heard you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use you can also reach out to bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com see you next week guys